Well, we thank Brandon for sharing vulnerably about his own story and giving really hope to all of us that there is no sin in our life that Jesus did not die for and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we cannot overcome. And I think that that's an appropriate uh, introduction to our subject today as we come to uh, what Proverbs has to say about wisdom and sexuality. And we introduced this last, uh, last week by giving a little background on Proverbs. I'd like to do that again because it relates to really what we're going to see here in Proverbs 5 uh, and 6 and 7, if you continue to read. But a reminder to you that Proverbs is not so much a, a letter like Galatians or Romans. It's not a prose. It's a collection. It's a collection of little pithy, terse statements of wisdom. We could call it Old Testament Twitter. Little brief statements that capture some aspect of life. And one of the reasons that we love Proverbs so much is it's so intensely practical. And really, that's what Proverbs is, practical Christian living, practical wisdom for uh, the various dimensions and directions of life. And so in Proverbs, we are introduced to three characters. And this is intensely helpful as you read Proverbs to understand the purpose of Proverbs is three different kinds of people, the wise man, the foolish, and the simple. And as we saw last week, the wise are those that are living according to God's wisdom, God's will as found in God's word. And their, their life begins at the right starting point, the fear of the Lord, and therefore then the directions of their life tend towards the things that bring the blessings of God. The wise are who we are to emulate, to desire to be, Proverbs is written to entrench the wise in their wisdom. It also is written, though, for the fool. And the fool is the opposite of the wise, the wise guy. Uh, and I mean that in a positive way. Uh, the fool is not somebody that God's wisdom matters to them. They don't understand it. They're committed to their directions, their folly. They don't take advice. You can read them Proverbs all day. It makes no sense to them. Uh, you, you can't argue a fool out of his folly. You can't even beat uh, uh, the folly out of a fool, Proverbs said. There is no hope for the fool. So Proverbs isn't written for the fool because it would make no difference to them anyway. They're going to live the way they live and suffer the consequences of their folly. Which leads to the third uh, person in Proverbs, which is the simple. The simple man, the simple woman. And the simple, they're not wise, they're not foolish, they're sort of in, the, in between here. They're gullible, they are naive, they've not yet gone the direction of the folly of the fool, but they have not yet appropriated the wisdom of God in their life. And Proverbs is written in order to make the simple wise and to keep them from becoming uh, the foolish. And if you keep that basic paradigm in mind as you read through Proverbs, it's incredibly helpful. And so Proverbs is a collection of these Wisdom sayings uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. It's an incredibly practical letter, and we're doing a little series on it here uh, this summer. One of the things about Proverbs is that it is unblushing in its willingness to speak into very private areas of human life. And what is more private, more personal to us than our sexuality? 
And you would say, oh, Proverbs, it'll, it'll sort of walk, you know, delicately. It'll tiptoe through the tulips of that. Nope, it doesn't. Just bam. <laughs> That's what it does. Especially Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, other places in Proverbs. But these three chapters in particular just unabashedly wade into the subject of human sexuality and human sin. And as we, as we uh, talk about this, realize that Proverbs is largely written as a kind of wisdom letter or love letter from a dad to his sons. And so the language is very much sort of like gendered that direction. And don't be offended by that, ladies. You can, the principles apply the other way as well. Uh, but just the fact, here's my, my first thing I'd like you to see is, is parents, Proverbs is a wisdom letter from a dad to his children, a lot of it about sexuality. And I want, to, I want to encourage you that this is a model for all parents, especially in the day and age that we live in today, where your kids, if you're not talking to them, I guarantee you, they're getting, they're getting lots of information and lots of commentary from the world around them and from their, their friends. And here's a letter encouraging parents to have the talk and to continue to have the talk over and over and over again with your kids. Because if they don't hear it from you, who are they going to hear it from? The media? And what are they going to get from the media? They're going to get a secularized view of sexuality. Maybe you say, well, the schools will take care of that. I hear they have sex ed. Well, they're not going to get a biblical view of sexuality from the schools. You have two hopes, home and the church. That's the only place they're going to get a biblical view of sexuality. And so parents, please see in, in the model of the author of Proverbs an example of how we should be talking with our children about this very important subject as well. And you're going to see here in a second, uh, he doesn't blush to talk about details. And as I read some of this passage, I think there might be some blushing in the congregation and no doubt some blushing in the pulpit as I do so. So bear with me, okay? All right, so with that said, let's talk about sex and wisdom. Over the years, we've talked about this many times. This message is not a theology of sex. There's a lot more that could be said about this subject, and you can go online and, and uh, read or listen to messages that we've done on this. All I want to do today is I just want to walk through Proverbs 5. What does Proverbs 5 tell us about sexuality? And you could, again, go on in Proverbs 6 and 7 and see other things, but here's the basic outline, okay? Sex, according to Proverbs, is number one, you've got to have great defense. Number two, you've got to have great offense. And number three, you need to think seriously about consequence, okay? So offense, defense, consequence. There's the outline. Let me begin reading here, verse 1, chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So we're introduced to this woman who, in the ESV, 
is translated the forbidden woman. You may have a different translation. Some of the other ones go with the immoral woman, the adulterous woman, uh, the loose woman. The word, it, it means foreign, okay, foreign. And the sense of it, I think well in the ESV, is the forbidden woman. So this is the woman who by God's will is outside of God's will in terms of a sexual relationship. She is forbidden by the law of God. And what Proverbs here talks about is the devastating consequences that come with her. And again, remember, this is a dad writing to sons. So if you're a lady here, you can think about the forbidden man in a similar sort of way. The principle applies. Notice the first thing that's said about her. Her lips drip honey. Now that's an image, isn't it? Just honey dripping off of her lips. I, I, one pastor I saw, he calls her honey lips. <laughs> honey lips. Possibly a double meaning because lips are like speech. So she has a very, she'll come with very desirable, seductive sort of speech. But also lips uh, could be kisses and uh, maybe it's both of those things. But in the ancient world, honey was the sweetest thing that they had. In our context, we maybe would call her sugar lips or, uh, you know, chocolate lips or whatever your thing is that you like, candy lips. The point is this, is that the forbidden woman is very desirable on the outside, like at first appearance or the first things you hear from her. On the outside, she seems to be everything you could ever hope for and want. She speaks to the sensual side of the man, honey, speech, words, she would seem to be fantastic. Wow, to be with her would be just like the fulfillment of my desires and dreams. Wrong. And that's where Proverbs go. Notice, it goes on and says this, but the end, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a double-edged sword. Anybody here ever eat some wormwood. Can you speak into this for us a second? Because I've never had wormwood. But I don't know that I need to have wormwood because it just sounds terrible, doesn't it? I think that's the sense. Wormwood. She tastes as bitter as wormwood. In other words, the aftertaste of being, it's honey on the outside, it's wormwood on the inside. Nasty. Sharp as any double-edged sword. After you're with her, it's like you've been plunged through the gut with a knife. It goes on to say that she uh, she takes you to Sheol. What is that? Sheol was the Old Testament like language for, we call it hell. She'll take you to hell. She ends your life, the life at least as you've known it. Verse 6, she doesn't ponder the path of life. This is a woman, this, this is not the Proverbs 31, you know, virtuous woman. No, 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 not at all. This is a very different kind of woman. This is a woman, she, she does not have wisdom she doesn't think about life. She doesn't see danger and run, run from it. All she has is her body, and she uses it to bring destruction to men and to herself, sadly. But the whole picture here is that she looks good, but the consequence of being with her, the end result of being with her, you'll wish you never met her. I noticed first service, I didn't get very many amens either. It's okay. I understand in this passage, it's not... Somebody said that to me between services, like, yeah, I didn't want to, I wanted to amen, but I felt awkward doing so. I understand, it's fine, I'll just keep 
blathering away and assume that you're with me in your hearts, you're saying, yes, Pastor Steve, amen. Is this the kind of woman you want to spend your life with? I mean, read, read that woman and then go to Proverbs 31 and read about what, a, what an actual virtuous woman is like. And then say, hmm, I wonder which of these two women I would la- rather be with. I don't rec- the Proverbs 31 woman, you know, the, 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 he doesn't call her honey lips. But all the character qualities are there for a really successful marriage and, and, and uh, experience of being married with her. This woman, it's just like after you're with her, like one time, it's like, you know, your life is over. It's, she's ruined your life. That's the sense of it. Parents, can I ask you this question when you talk about sex? How vivid is the language that you use? And by this, I don't mean being inappropriate. There's a line there. But this is pretty vivid language here, isn't it? Like, this is Old Testament. She's going to take you to hell kind of language. I don't know that we talk with our kids about it. Like, oh, it's a bad idea. Maybe you shouldn't do it. You know, like, just read Proverbs and, and use language that is accurate and true and inspired and I think much stronger than we often talk about this with our own kids. There's some people I think too, and I'm going to get into this in a moment, that think that that's all that Christians have in terms of their approach to sexuality. It's all, it's bad, she ruins you, your life's over and stuff like that. When in reality, the Christian perspective on sex is not simply no, but all kinds of yes and wonderfulness. And today, I don't want anybody leaving here going, oh, Christianity, they're against sex. No, we're for the best kind of sex. We're for the maximum sexual experience that God intended. And uh, we'll get into that here in, in just a moment. I think about, though, the stereotype, and I'm fighting against that stereotype here that Christians with regard to sexuality, they're prudes, you know, they're Puritans about it, even though the Puritans were very wonderfully sensual and sexual and holy ways. So I think in a church, you know, people sometimes say sex is only for marriage and it's only to make children. That's the only purpose of it. And so if you see a godly family in the commons and you see three children, you think they had it three times. That's it. (laughs) Because that's the only purpose behind it. And this is sad because God intended marriage, yes, for or sex, yes, for marriage, and for children, but for a whole lot more than that. Outside of marriage, sex is destructive. She's honey lips. Inside of marriage, she's honey lips with no wormwood. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good thing. Many of you know my story. I was single until I was 44 years old. And as I talk about marital uh, sexual relations, I also remember from whence I've come. And young people here as well, I want you to know that a lot of what I'm saying here is not as directly related to maybe your situation in life, but my heart is for presenting this view in a way that motivates you to want God's will in this area in your life. And to see this as a high and a holy and a wonderful thing. Hebrews says that, that the marriage bed is pure. Let marriage be honored by all. And to lay, to, to lay before you a vision for your own sexual life and your own view of your future, possibly, if God would bring a spouse to you, and to see that as a wonderful gift from God. 
and also to see anything other than that as something that is destructive in your own sexual experience. I'll give you an example. One of the things that uh, I'm reading about and that we've come, you know, we deal with here in the church even is that studies are showing that men who are involved in, in pornography that oftentimes within marriage they struggle because their wife can no longer arouse them. Their mind has been so uh, affected by those images of absolute perfection that a real flesh and blood woman, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't work. And I, I, I reached out to our, our counseling pastor here, Stephen Ganschow, because he had made comments like that in the past. And I said, can I just verify this with you? And he said, absolutely yes. Now, what does that mean? That means that that porn picture or that, you know, online thing or that illicit relationship that maybe you've had, you think you're gaining something from it. It's actually taking something away from you. And that's what sin is. Sin is a destroyer. It doesn't seem like it because her lips are so filled with honey. She's so wonderful. She's so fantastic. But the wise person has to see past the honey lips to the wormwood and to understand that God's plan is for our good and for our blessing. To realize the tragic consequence by looking at other people's naked bodies, you may not be able to enjoy your wife's body. So what if all the porn sites and all the strip clubs and all the R-rated movie exposure over the years disables your sex drive and your ability to properly enjoy it? Would that not be a tragic consequence? You think that you're gaining something and it's destroying. Who would do that? But this is what sin does. I use this quote all the time. I'm going to use it again because it fits so well. C.S. Lewis wrote this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Would that our young people here in our church and in the families of our church would be so convinced that the greatest sexual pleasure to be had is in a long-term sexual relationship with your spouse in which you enter the relationship virgins and the first body you see is your spouse who has covenanted to love you with the rest of her life. That's the biblical model. Now that sounds crazy today, and unfortunately our young people are embarrassed if they're virgins. Right? Because in the world, that's like, man, you are missing out. What's wrong with you? Cue the uh, counselor saying, these guys can't get aroused anymore. Who's really missing out? And that's why I want to encourage you to see that there is something better then what the world is saying is sexual satisfaction. There is a better way, and it's God's way, and it's the way of wisdom. Further, I would say, would that Christians had the reputation that sex in a Christian marriage is the best. Now, we need to work on that. And I charge all the married couples to do it this week. 
But again, it, we can't just come across and say, sex outside of, bad, of marriage is bad, sex inside of marriage is okay. Who's motivated by that? No, it's better within covenantal love than anything illicit out in the world. Do we believe that or not? And do our young people get the idea, like from mom and dad, that, man, this is really great. You want this, sweetheart, trust me. You want what mom and dad have. It's better than the back seat. Way better than the back seat. Or the prom sex. Or the whatever. Marital sex within a Christian marriage based on the gospel should be the best and needs to be portrayed such. Again, marital intimacy is honey lips with no wormwood. <laughs> Your wife's lips drip honey and there's no bad aftertaste. That, by the way, is why they call it a honeymoon. You get to go over the moon with your honey. Honeymoon, all right? I made that up. If you didn't tell, I just... <laughs> so what I'm saying is, can we view sex outside of marriage as lame and second-rate and to feel sorry for people that do that and to realize, boy, they're missing out on something, something far better. I would say that we should, when we drive down the interstate and we see a billboard with a woman and she's scantily clad, we should feel bad for her. And to think about her parents who didn't raise her to unveil her nakedness to tens of thousands of people driving down the interstate. And how sad her life must be to objectify and monetize her sexuality. And to think, I wish better for her. To drive by some of these things we have along the interstate and to see truckers and men walking into these facilities to feel bad for them not to be like oh I wonder what they get to see in there but to be like man that's so lame to feel bad for them to feel bad for the women who are performing inside there what a terrible existence that must be to have a heart for them and a sorrow for them and to wish better for them in all categories spiritually and sexually what are they doing they're making mud, mud pies in the slum and they think it's all, this is so awesome, the mud pies in the slum. And God's in heaven through his word and through his wisdom offering something far better. Now, let's get into our defense-offense consequence. And we get into this in verse 7. Here's what Proverbs 5 urges regarding defense. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And you hear just all the regret that is expressed there. He groans at the end of his life to see all of the pain that his sexual immorality has brought in his life. So defense. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs basically says this. Don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house 
What is that saying? It's a, it's a proximity thing. When I put myself in a position where I could fall, I shouldn't be surprised if I do. In fact, Proverbs 7 tells the story of a simple man who happens to go by the adulteress's house, and she comes out, and her lips are dripping honey, and she's saying all kinds of things about her husband being away, and, and how she's prepared the bedchamber, and la, 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 and won't you come and enjoy this with me? And, and it says in the text, like an ox to the slaughter, all of a sudden he follows her and doesn't realize all that it's going to cost him. How unwise he was to be near the door of her house. Mark Twain said it this way, uh, many ways to deal with temptation, the best thing is to be a coward. Men, listen to me. Are there things in your life right now that you are, you know, maybe it's not an actual door, uh, but you are putting yourself in a place unnecessarily where there is temptation. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're hanging out with honey lips unnecessarily. Now, there are things that we can't do. You can't not drive down the interstate, and you can't not, you know, there's certain things we can't do. As Luther said, you know, I can't keep the birds from flying above my head, but I can keep them out of my hair. <laughs> Does that mean anything to anybody? I've always wondered what that meant. I don't know. <laughs> the idea here is, though, the wise person looks at their life and, and with a view towards their own purity and the desire for God's will sexually in their life, and they say, am I, putting my, am I doing anything unwisely here? Am I entering into any relationships unwisely here? Am I, am, I, uh, am, I, am I unaccountable in categories of my life where that fire, that flame could blow up on me? Ray Ortland said, sexual desire is like fire in the house. In the fireplace, it keeps the house warm. Outside the fire, it burns it down. And indeed, how true that is. And God has put this desire within all of us. If you're a young person here right now, and all of a sudden you like girls, okay? Like, oh, I like girls. That's not sin, okay? That's not sin. It's good, in fact. It's good. Except my daughter. <laughs> As one of our staff people says, who has daughters, he says, uh, he tells the guys, I've got a gun, a shovel, and nine acres out back. So, <laughs> But that fire God has placed within us, we need to have a holy respect for it and to not view ourselves as being somehow beyond the capacity to fall in this area. There's too many good men and too many good women who have fallen in this area, David being a great example of this, for any of us to say, oh, I could never do that. Wisdom doesn't place itself in temptation, avoids it at all costs, always has the running shoes on, ready to run out like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. So stay away from honey lips. Don't go near the door of her house. And if you're here right now going, oh, you Christians, you're such prudes. Why can't I go near the door of her house? Who says I can't meet a woman for lunch? Who says I can't have strong, independent friendships with the opposite sex? There you Christians go again. And what I want to say to you is this. Besides the discretion warning I already mentioned, underlying this passage is not a desire to minimize sexual fulfillment. It's a desire to maximize sexual fulfillment. And the adulteress, the seductress, the honey lips represents a threat to your maximum sexual pleasure and experience. 
View your sexuality as a precious gift. I was walking into church today, and, and uh, in the parking lot, I walked by a guy who just pulled up in his Harley Davidson. And so I walked by to say hi and to take a look at it, and, and uh, I said, what's the story on this? And it's like over 30 years old, he built the whole thing by hand, he said. Every, every, every nook and cranny's polished. I mean, he was so proud of this, this Harley Davidson. I said, do you, know, do, you, do you wax it all winter? Like, how does this look this way? And he said, no, it's over a tarp, no dirt gets on it, and... It's just a little picture of what we do with things that are valuable to us. We take care of them. We see them them as being important to us. And friends, our sexuality is a precious gift that God has given to every single one of us. It's so valuable, it needs to be stewarded, cared for, protected. View it that way. To ask this question, are there presently any habits of life or any relationships in your life with the opposite sex that pose a threat to you. Think about that today. As you're sitting here right now, is there anything like that? And will you play defense? Will you see the danger and flee from it? Will you allow this threat to possibly take away your maximum sexual experience? I gotta include Romans, right? (laughs) Here's what Romans says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So a strong defense begins with an understanding that some things lead to other things. And to not get that chain of events, those dominoes started, to be wise in this regard. So what about offense? Okay, that's defense. Proverbs places before us the pleasurable experience of open and free marital intimacy and does so in poetic but pretty graphic terms. In fact, what I'm about to read right now, it's going to sound a lot like Song of Solomon and uh, you're going to hear the similar sort of kind of intimate language. I'm just going to read what the Bible says. If you don't like it, your problem is with the Bible. Okay, so here's what it says. Now I have all of your attention. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of, her, of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I'll not reread that. (laughs) So it's poetic language, but it's not hard to see behind the poetry what it's talking about and the way that uh, things work within marital intimacy. Rather than honey lips, drink from your own cistern. And what's a cistern? It's a well. You got water out of the well. God is, if you're, a, if you're a husband, God has given you a well. Her, she's your wife. Drink deeply of her love. He says this, he said, should your, streams, should your streams run in the streets? And the idea there is that sex is sacred. Sex is holy. The marriage bed is holy. Should you take what happens within that sacred, holy context and just let it flow in the streets? With the common, profane in the streets? No. Why? It's so sacred. Enjoy it deeply with your spouse. 
One commentator breaks this chapter down this way. Point number one, keep your hands off the forbidden woman. Point number two, keep your hands on your wife. Are you with me? <laughs> I thought that was good. And, the, and at least the husband said, amen, right? Amen. And indeed, this is a powerful picture, I think, of how, of rejoicing in your wife. Notice wives here, it says, it compares you in the language here to a lovely deer and a graceful doe. What do you think about that, ladies? I think that's kind of nice. <laughs> this is like biblical pillow talk right here. <laughs> Let her breast satisfy you with delight at all times. The ongoing delights of marital intimacy. I remember when I, when I got married. I got married right here, right here on this, uh, on this stage. And for 44 years, as a Christian man, red light when it came to sexuality. Red light. And then you show up at a church, you say a few words in front of, front of a group of people, and you walk out the doors, and it's green light 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's sort of like, what just happened? You know, like the transition from no to yes is... It is weird, and I think partly because I had the red light so long, it was like, wow, i got to kind of change the way I view this thing. And indeed, I, I have successfully done so, thankfully. <laughs> no, I say that because young people and single people here, widows, whoever it is, if you come to me and you say, my sexual desires are so strong, I've got to do something with them. Okay. It's not like God hasn't given a holy biblical outlet for that. It's called marriage. Pray for a spouse. Do something about it. <laughs> marriage is the place where that is to be expressed. And what a wonderful place that is for that expression. To think about sex within marriage. To realize there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. To be naked with your spouse. You get over it really quick. There's no shame. There's no fear of unwed pregnancy or complications like that. There's no fear of abandonment. There's no worries about performance or comparison. When you really think about it, marriage perfectly provides for our sexual desires and accommodates our sexual fears in the context of love and covenant. What a beautiful place. It's almost like God designed it perfectly. I would also add this, and I remember hearing somebody say this when I was single, because when you're single, you kind of wonder ab ab about this, at least I did, like, you know, because sex in the movies and people talk about it like it's this, you know, one thing that uh, suddenly transforms your life and, you know, you will go from being a boy to a man and it's like this, you know, ultimately fulfilling kind of thing. Can I just say this to you? That's making too much of sex. If you're wondering if you should get married for sex, the answer to that is no, you should not. Because it would be asking of sex more than God ever designed it to be the basis of any relationship. 
The basis of marriage is not sex, it's covenantal love that is reflecting the relationship between Jesus and the church. And a Christian couple enters into marriage not so they can have sex as a primary motive, uh, but because I want to glorify God in my marriage. And that's a whole host of categories, sex included. If, if, if sex was enough to be the basis of a marriage, think of all the Hollywood couples, the beautiful people. You would think, man, they've got the, they should be writing the marriage books there in Hollywood telling us all how to be married because they must be having amazing sex with beautiful people. It's got to be great, and yet they divorce after like six months. What does that tell us? Sex is not a basis for marriage. Covenantal love, reflecting the love of Jesus in the church, is. And that's, that's Christian marriage. And it's part of what makes, then, the sex within a Christian marriage the best to be had in this broken world. Not the backseat, not the prom sex, not the sort of in the shadow thing that you're doing and the shame and don't want anybody to know, but no, out in the open. I'm here I am, I'm talking in some ways about my own life and I don't have to feel shame about it. Why? Because I'm married. It's good, it's holy. And I, I put that before you as something to pray for and aspire for and if God gives you the gift of being married to enjoy deeply, it's great offense in the struggle for sexual purity. All right, so, no amens on that, it's fine, it's good. <laughs> I think a lot of you parents inside are going, amen, 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 I hope so. All right. So, offense, defense. The third thing Proverbs has to say about this is consequence. We pick it up here in verse 20, chapter 5. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Proverbs 5 begins with a word about wisdom, and it ends with a word about folly. And here we have a description of the individual who forsakes the God's call for their sexuality and engages in illicit and immoral sexuality. And what the, sec what the passage is saying is realize the consequences of your sexual actions. These are not happening, you know, in a vacuum. Number one, the eyes of the Lord are upon us. We may think... God, nobody knows about my porn thing, and we may think nobody knows about my masturbation thing, and we may think that nobody knows about this side relationship that I have, but the eyes of the Lord are all over the earth. He sees and knows all of it. And Proverbs calls for a life that begins with the fear of the Lord. It begins with a reverencing of the God of heaven. And with that as my starting point, the directions of my life tend to be in directions that bring blessing. When I deny the fear of the Lord, my starting point now is in a direction that leads to consequences. And Proverbs urges us to consider consequences. The wise see the danger and flee, but the prudent, or the, uh, the wise see the danger and flee, and the, but the, the fool goes on and suffers consequences. That's not a direct quote, but it gets to the point that I'm saying. Are you wise? Are you being wise with your sexuality? Or are you being a fool? 
because there are consequences that come with both of these. There's a guy I like by the name of Randy Alcorn, an author, and I don't know when he did this in, in his life, but Christian man, pastor, and, and uh, author. But he sat down and he thought very intentionally about all of the consequences if he was to commit adultery against his wife. And he created a list, and there's like 25 consequences of it. And I'm going to share a few of them with, with you because this is the sense of it. I approach my life seeing, seeing the wormwood, seeing past the honey lips, seeing the wormwood. Here's part of the bitterness. Grieving my Lord, displeasing the one whose opinion matters most. Dragging into the mud Christ's sacred reputation. Loss of reward and commendation from God. Untold hurt to Nancy, my best friend and loyal wife, and loss of her respect. Hurt to and loss of credibility with my beloved daughters. Shame to my family, shame to my church family, shame and hurt to my friends. Guilt awfully hard to shake, even though God would forgive me, would I forgive myself? Plaguing memories and flashbacks that could uh, taint future intimacy with my wife. Laughter, rejoicing, and blasphemous smugness by those who disrespect God. Possible diseases, possible pregnancy with its personal and financial obligations. Loss of self-respect, discrediting my own name, and invoking shame and lifelong embarrassment upon myself. And many others. That's a sample. And here's the point of Proverbs. Proverbs says... Look at the consequences of walking outside of God's will. Take a good look at that list, and then take a good look at honey lips and the few minutes of pleasure that you get to enjoy with her, and you make a moral, reasoned decision. Is she worth all of that? And the obvious answer is no. Like if, if David could go back and think for a second about everything it was going to cost him to be with Bathsheba, would he have ever summoned her to the bedchamber? No. It was pain and sorrow for years, indeed the rest of his life. And if Solomon wrote this, he saw that it was his own mother and father. And the call, it's a warning. It's a warning. Bear in mind all that she is going to cost you Consider the consequences. Here's the final thing I gotta say. As I talk like this, no doubt here we have squirming. And that squirming could be because of something that's going on presently in your life. It could be something that haunts you from something in the past of your life. And I'm glad that I can stand before you and not just be a moral teacher and to urge all of you to go out there and do your best. Try to, try to be pure and to turn everybody into pharisaical self-righteous types. Or for you to walk out of here and say, well, we must be good because we were virgins when we got married and to look down on everybody else. That is not the gospel and that is not Christianity. Sexual sin is serious. And all sin is serious. And the gospel is not that Jesus died for the non-virgins or the virgins, but that Jesus died for sinners. 
And the wonderful thing that we can offer here in the church is the offer of God. It's not, it's not even so much the church. I mean, we're just sinners here. All of us are sinners here. But God offers to the sexual sinner forgiveness and restoration and a new, fresh start. And if you're here and you're squirming as I talk about this, I would urge you to repent of the sin, to receive the forgiveness that God offers Right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. That sin of your past is something, or present, is something that the grace of God by the work of Jesus on the cross can be forgiven. And for you to have a new, fresh start in purity. That's the gospel. And that's where we stand. That's why we gather. That's the whole hope of our our whole life and eternal life. And to realize, too, here we are in the New Testament. Proverbs didn't have Jesus. We have Jesus. And we see in the life of Jesus, who came to him over and over again? Sexually sinful people, especially prostitutes. And what did Jesus do? He forgave them. Think of the woman in John 8. Disputed passage, but likely a true story. In John 8. The adulterous woman who the Pharisees throw at Jesus' feet and said, we've caught her and we caught her in sexual sin. Where was the guy? I don't know. But the woman is thrown at Jesus' feet and Jesus begins to write in the sand that he who is without sin cast the first stone and all the Pharisees walk away. And it's just Jesus and the woman. Now think about what a real legalistic person would do in a moment like that. All right, you woman, I'm here to tell you right now. Does Jesus list all the consequences of her sin? Does he go through all the litany of the things in her life? No. What does he say? Go and sin no more. The woman at the well. She'd been sexual with all kinds of men, including the, not her husband she was currently living with. What does Jesus do with her? Leads her to streams of living water. And that's my desire this morning. I'm not up here to condemn. Who am I to condemn? I'm up here to say, here's wisdom and a life of blessing. And here is Jesus who died for sinners. And in that, we have the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So praise God that he offers us wisdom and the best life to be lived. And he offers us grace through the work of Jesus Christ to all who will repent, trust, and believe. So let's be Christians who do all of that with great offense great defense, and serious consideration of consequence. Amen.